<laughs> Welcome to the Halloween special spooktacular celebravaganza this year on Acme Podcast Incorporated. <laughs> I'm broadcasting from the spooky warehouse. Yes. So yeah, uh, it's me, Laser J, and I'm joined as always by my good buddy and co-host. It's me. Peter Laurie. No, anyway. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> it's Kai. Yep. Uh, we're, we're bringing you this special bonus episode like we did last year on the 31st itself. Yeah. On the Halloween. The proper day of spoops as opposed to the month of spoops. Yep. We're your Halloweenies this year. Uh... So, and what we're doing this year is we're taking a look at Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride. A fitting pair. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, They had a lot more in common than I thought they did. Doing, reading about them and reading the um, uh, direction and the various parts of the cast and whatnot. But uh, we can get more into that as, as we go. Yeah, it definitely feels like... The, the short version is it definitely feels like the corpse bride is trying to be like a spiritual successor. Yeah, it it's um unlike Nightmare, it is way more Tim Burton's baby than Nightmare oh, yeah. was. Not uh, we can get it. We'll get into this more later, but like Nightmare, while Tim Burton had a huge part of it, it's not fair to say that it should be called Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I'm looking on IMDb here real quick, and uh, Tim Burton really is only credited for the story and characters. Yeah. But, uh... <sighs> but yeah, that, we'll get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is a special bonus episode, you're going to be hearing another episode in a day, next tomorrow, in fact. You'll get the actual normal episode. Yeah, well, we're talking about uh, JoJo Part 4. Yeah, uh, so you'll get our week segment then, uh, So, and you'll also get upkeep at that time. So we're just going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to jump right into Nightmare Before Christmas. We'll see you then. And welcome back. So yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas, 1993, uh, directed by Henry Selleck. Tim Burton credited for story and characters. Michael McDowell for the adaptation, and Carolyn Thompson for the screenplay. Uh Chris Randon is the uh, voice of Jack Skellington, and Denny Elfman is the singing voice for Jack Skellington, as well as Barrel and Clown with the Tearaway Face. And the composer of all the music. Oh, yes. I mean, it's a Tim Burton movie. It's got to be Danny Elfman. Yeah, yes. Even... <laughs> yeah, wait. Is, Even if there... he's not directing it, it still has his stink on it. Where... Was was there a Tim Burton movie where Danny Elfman didn't do the music? I'll be honest, I'm not the most familiar with like the the only Tim Burton movies I've really seen are the only movies that have Tim Burton stink on it that I've seen are these two, Beetlejuice and Eighty Nine Batman. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't really like him all that much. He's a, a director I could wholly do without. He's one of those people that's a little overrated. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of like... Uh, the last few... I say few, more like the last decade. 
he he's kind of taken a, a nosedive in terms of his quality as a, a director and creative whatever. He, he yeah. kind of he kind of already peaked. Yeah, actually, there, there's one other that I saw, and that's Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and that is probably probably one of my favorite movies. Actually, did you not see uh, Edward Scissorhands? Edward, I've never seen it all the way through. Oh, okay. I've caught like bits and pieces of it on TV. Okay, I see. Um, did you ever see uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Regretfully, yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't. Never saw Frankenweenie. I don't hate that movie. It's fine. Uh, which one, Charlie and Chocolate Factory? Char- yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is. Looking back on it and really like watching it again it does a lot of weird shit but like it's not bad yeah i, I just, just uh dean wilder is just a better Willy wonka yeah that that's really all there is to it i just like Willy wonka and the chocolate factory more i'll give it credit though um that basically the the, the, the thing with uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original, is that Gene Wilder is kind of like carrying that entire movie. Mm. Everybody else is kind of like nothing. Yeah, but it, it really is. the 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 Tim Burton version. There's there's a lot more balanced casting. Like a lot of the tertiary, like the kids, are way better in the Tim Burton version. That is true. And also Christopher Lee is in it. Yeah. I, I just find I don't care as much about all of... I, I don't know. I just don't care as much. Yeah, it also made some weird musical choices. The fact that it's even a musical at all from the, the original is was always weird. Yeah. I, I would have dropped the Oompa Loompa song. I would have dropped the Oompa Loompas, really, in uh, uh, the remake. But... I mean... Yeah. But anyway, I mean, some of the songs were interesting. They they were definitely trying to. There were some that went for that like funkadelic '60s kind of vibe. There are also some legitimately funny scenes in that movie, like how he has the Oompa Loompa who's a psychologist. Yeah, and he's just sitting there like he just goes on and on like and the guy and the he just nods, and then yeah. he just turns to me and goes, "You're really good." And he takes off his glasses and he just nods. <laughs> Yeah, okay, maybe that movie's better than I give it credit. For. It's 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 not bad. It, it, people yeah. give it a hard time, but it's not bad. I've just never been a fan of Johnny Depp, is the thing. Well, I used to be, and then... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, no, I mean, that, that, that goes across the board. I think the only Johnny Depp movie I actually like is Corpse Bride, genuinely. You don't like Pirates? Eh, I always thought it was overrated. But um, I I okay. I didn't get introduced to. I didn't watch it the first time in the most optimal way, so that probably factors into it. Mm-hmm. I watched it on my iPod in math class. Ah, yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, nightmare. Yeah, nightmare. Uh, it's another movie I don't particularly like. Um. I don't dislike it. I just don't have. 
we've talked about my feet. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. We haven't. <clears throat> excuse me. We haven't talked about it on the show, but we have talked about it off podcast. All right. Well, for for the listeners at home, uh, growing up uh, in a fairly religious Jewish family, I wasn't allowed to watch any movie that had Christmas in the name. And my dad also didn't want me watching scary movies. So the fact that I had Nightmare in the name was a second strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never got to see it as a kid. And I just sort of forgot about it. I remember asking to see it. And that was how I learned that I'm not allowed to see movies with Christmas in the title. Um, or that he didn't want me watching scary stuff. Uh, and I just kind of forgot about it. And then I got to high school. And I hung out with, you know, the, the goths and the emos and all that. And oh boy, were they all super into Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the, the hoodies and the t-shirts and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jack Skellington was the original Tumblr sexy man. Yeah. And people uh, and people are valid. I, I would argue Edward Scissorhands is, but... Because mm. uh, I remember people going... I remember kids going gaga about him in my childhood. Yeah, it was Jack Skellington for me, and... They're valid. Yeah. No, they're not wrong. They're 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 valid. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't see. I didn't. I, I never watched it until I was an adult. Like I think I was like nineteen, twenty, twenty one, maybe. Yeah. So there's no nostalgia for it. Yeah, and I was like, eh, I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I watched it out of curiosity, and I was like, yeah, this is fine. I'd seen Corpse Bride already, and I liked Corpse Bride. So I was like, this, this, obviously that's pulling from this, but I happen to like Corpse Bride more than I like this. So yeah, um, I, I've I've uh, I've done this a couple of times on the show, obviously, and this is sort of just going to become a running trend as we, the longer the show goes on, but going back and watching something that I know that I have a lot of either nostalgia for or that I like or both. And then going into it, watching it, and having to, like, look at it critically and actually think about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to revisit. Like, Last Unicorn was a lot of fun to revisit for, yeah. for that reason. Um, and it, it makes me appreciate the movie even more. But Nightmare is a weird case where, like, I, how do I want to articulate this? I think Nightmare is, number one, I think it's an important movie. Oh, yeah. It's definitely, it was one of the first super, super successful stop motion animated films. Oh, yeah. The the only other game in town at this time was Ardman. Yeah, exactly. And that was mostly just enjoyed by weird nerds. Yeah, and a lot of the the people who worked on this movie would eventually like go on to be in Leica, who are like the yeah. stop motion people. Yeah. And uh, it, even if people even if people who can't appreciate it from like what it is as a movie, I think it deserves to be respected for what it is. It's a piece of art. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the the aesthetic of the film 
its backgrounds, all of the the props and the sets and the uh, the the puppets that they use for the actual um animation. Uh, I remember back in the day I watched a featurette on the making of this movie, mm-hmm. and there was a one of the most interesting things that it, it was one of those moments where. It, I think it was the first moment I realized how hard animation was. Mm. And it was, they talked about making Jack and how Jack had um, every possible syllable that could be spoken, he had a face for it. Yeah. And not only that, he also had a bunch of unique faces for specific, like, emotions and scenes. There are some scenes, like, where that face is only used in that one scene. Yeah, and it's that's wild. Like the amount of work that had to go into that one face just for that one shot. Yeah, it's incredible, truly. I, I um, I, I remember what what made me as a kid appreciate uh, uh, stop animation was uh, James and the Giant Peach. Oh yeah, we'll have to talk about that movie too. Yeah, because and I remember seeing a very similar. TV interstitial for it. Yeah. Uh, that's the only reason I saw it, because it, it kept being played on TV. I don't remember which channel. Was it Disney? Was it Cartoon Network? It might have been. Yeah, Selleck also directed that. Yeah. And uh, Coraline as well. Yeah. So we might pair them together, actually. But that's a good pairing, yeah. Yeah, because they're both based off of books. And they're both yeah. the same director. Yeah, one's Gaiman and one's uh, Doll. Mm-hmm. For sure, um, but yeah, the the having again sitting down and like really analyzing it from that perspective was a lot of fun because there are some shots that I'm like, man, that must have that must have taken forever. The battle with Oogie Boogie. Yeah, for real. It, it like holy shit. Or um, the any time there's a or uh, when Jack is um after he gets shot down. And his suit is all like fucked up. Every individual yeah. part of that suit was like a street, a thing of fabric that had to like move, yeah, in time with his own motions and not look awkward. Yeah, like that's insane. Or anytime Jack's coattails like moved with like the wind or like a subtle motion, yeah, or whatever. Like that's a detail they didn't need to add, but they did. Um, there's also like a lot of like other little details that I never noticed. I would argue that they did. Hmm. I don't think if they hadn't put that extra TLC into this that it would be as beloved as it is. Yeah, you're right. You absolutely right. Um, there's a lot of other little things I noticed. Um, one, number one is um, I never noticed how um Sally. Uh walks in a very specific way. Yeah. Like, because she's all stitched up, she has, like, this weird, awkward gait, and I never noticed that before. It's kind of interesting. It's, like, it's such a small character detail. Yeah. Or the fact that, um, Oogie Boogie, you don't really think about it until you really look at it, but the, the, his puppet is, um, obviously it's, like, made to look like a burlap sack, but there was no way you could make a burlap sack puppet like that without shit yeah. moving everywhere so to give the illusion of the rest of it most of his at least parts of his body folding and moving they painted it 
with like an mm. airbrush to have like this like folding and cr and scrunching of like the the burlap fabric, yeah, which is a really great effect. There's also a lot of really pretty painted backgrounds that I never noticed before either. Yeah, the the production on this is all through the roof. Like it, it's absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, mm -hmm. I don't really have anything else to say. <laughs> um, just just that. Yeah, there, there. Um, yeah, Nightmare. There's not much to talk about in terms of plot or whatever. It's a pretty straightforward movie. The 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 two things that I will say that are like definitely negatives for me personally is number one, I. Objectively speaking, I love Oogie Boogie, but he did not need to be in this movie. No, he didn't. Like, he serves absolutely no purpose. Jack completes his entire character arc without Oogie Boogie's involvement at all. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of there so we can have a climax. Yeah. And, you know, it hurts me to say that because Oogie Boogie's song is my favorite song in this movie. I was going to say, I think Oogie Boogie's probably my favorite character in this movie, and he's t oh, totally unnecessary. He is, and that sucks. Except maybe, um... Hmm. I like the trick-or-treaters. Oh, a Lock, Shock, and Barrel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're great. Um, Lock, voiced by Paul Rubens, by the way. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman. Um, <laughs> Frank Walker is zero. Yeah. Good what a good boy. Best dog. Catherine O'Hara is Sally and Shock. Oh yeah, she I didn't know she was also a shock. That's neat. Uh William Hickey is Dr. Finkelstein. Yep. Um, Ken Page is Oogie Boogie. And Edward Ivory is Santa. Glenn Shaddix is uh the mayor of Halloween Town. Yep. Yeah. Greg Proops as the Harlequin Demon, Devil, and Sax Player. Yep. Lots of that's a good voice acting in this. Like, yeah. I remember as a, I remember for the longest time, I could not tell that Jack's speaking voice and singing voice were two different people. Yeah, they do real good at uh, at uh, matching them. Yeah, because originally Danny Elfman's um, performance as Jack's singing voice was sort of a placeholder. Yeah, but they felt that it was so strong and how it perfectly matched the the vocal performance that they just kept it in that that happens a lot i i there's um i don't remember if this is a doc like a, a video essay i watched or if it's something someone told me but um there's this thing where uh filmmakers will use test audio like like test music mm -hmm. in the edit so they have like something to match with right yeah something to go with the timing or just something just there so it doesn't yeah. seem awkward yeah and then the composers will be stuck uh trying and, and there there's such a and then the composers come in and they end up making something that sounds like this. And it becomes a problem when the uh, composers, I mean, when the editors are using music from another movie. Mm -hmm. So you end up with these very 
this, this very homogenous, it was a video essay. It was about why there's uh, why there's no iconic theme in any of the MCU. Interesting. And it's all because it's all derivative of other movie scores. That is interesting. Never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, it's also how um, the Ghostbusters theme song came to be. Um. Yeah, I, I remember that that whole lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, for for the listeners, uh, they used uh that when the edit when they were editing it, they used uh. Uh, Huey Lewis and the News is uh, I Want a New Drug as a placeholder audio yep. for the scene where the theme would be playing. And they tried to get license to use it from him. And he was like, no. Uh, so they got Ray Park Jr. to make something. And it's just I Want a New Drug with a synth part. Mm-hmm. Over it. Uh, thank you, Quentin Reviews. Uh, I Oh, I'm glad the- you ended up watching him because he's great. Yeah, I, I ended up watching a lot of his stuff. Uh, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite YouTubers out there. We'll get into it on the next episode during the week, because I also watched something else oh. that I didn't think I'd ever watch. Oh, boy. I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, another YouTuber. Oh. Uh, the other... Yeah. The other... Um, I don't know if this is a criticism, and I don't know if it's like... It's just something I noticed about Mm -hmm. watching it again is that like holy shit is there like barely any time between a lot of these songs yeah it really just goes from song to song to song yeah there's like 10 songs in this movie and they're just like boom 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 there's no like breath there's hardly any breath between the songs it feels like listening to the soundtrack to a musical without ever watching the musical. So you kind of know the story, but not entirely. But because most musicals tell most of their story through song, you kind of get the beats. Yeah. And I'll give it this. It does meet one of my criteria for a good musical or a great musical, rather. And that's that most of the songs serve a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, actually, I'm trying to think if there's any song that doesn't really serve a purpose that could be cut. I don't think there is. Yeah, all of, um, yeah, all of them kind of, they have a purpose. I mean, th- there's certainly ways you could have done those scenes without the songs mm-hmm. to get a pro, like like the, the Trick or Treater song. Yeah, or Sally's song. Or Sally's song. You could have gotten that by with just dialogue, but yeah. music adds something to that scene. Yeah, there's also... Um, I also, and I wouldn't cut those songs either because they're really good songs. Like, there's no... Oh, yeah. The the Trick or Treater song is my favorite. I don't think there's a bad song in this movie. No. Like, I think my least favorite song is What's This? And that's still a great song. Yeah. It's the most... Uh, the What's This is definitely the most, like, big Broadway number song in the movie. Yeah. Like, all the other ones are kind of, like, weird. It's the uh, One Day More or the uh, I Dreamed a Dream or the uh, mm-hmm. Defying Gravity. Yeah, the and the I Want song, which is the Jack's Lament, is probably yeah. actually my... I like Doogie Boogie song, but Jack's Lament... Uh, excuse me. Uh, Jack's Lament is definitely my favorite song in the film. I, I find myself 
singing it a lot just to myself. <laughs> this is Halloween, though, is obviously the most iconic song in the film. Yeah, it has the most easy-to-remember chorus. This is Halloween, this is Halloween. Not chorus, hook. It has the most easy-to-remember hook. I've, I've been... It's been running... Just that phrase has been running through my head all fucking day. Because I watched it this morning. Yeah, I love the <laughs> I love the instrumental version that was in a Kingdom Hearts. I bet that that sounded real good. It, it's, it was real good. The, I, I loved all the instrumental versions of the very... It was really interesting, it's in Sidebar and Kingdom Hearts, which, which songs they would pick mm-hmm. to be the in, to, to have the instrumentals for. Because some, some Disney World, there was no real song to work with, but other ones it was obvious. Yeah. Like uh, with the Little Mermaid World, it was Under the Sea, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. What did they go for? Was Tarzan one of the ones they didn't have an obvious one? Yeah, because they're all like, uh, what's his name? Um, Phil Collins. Yeah, Phil Collins. There was no way to do it. Put Phil Collins music in in, in there. Mm, it, it wasn't like that's true. properly orchestrated. It was more like a remix of like the uh, music that you hear when you fight Sabor okay. in the uh, the the original film, like that doo, 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 the the drums and the yeah, you know that. Um. I'm sad that they didn't use Arabian Nights for Aladdin. What did they use for Aladdin? It was um similar to Arabian Nights, but it was sort of like it had the flavor, but it wasn't was legally distinct. Legally distinct Arabian Nights. Got it. Um, I am also sad we didn't get an, a version of like any of the other songs, like an mm. instrumental. Um, second start of the ride, I think, was the one they used for Peter Pan. Nope, oh, that makes sense. Um, and then um. Monstro, they needed to compose a, a song for that because there was no Pinocchio song that really worked. Mm. Uh, I think with Olymp, the Olympus Coliseum, it was like a a, a version of the uh, Olympus theme at the beginning of the film. The do do do. Looks like that. I, I can't hum it. It's really I can't hum it for some reason, but I know exactly what yeah, it that, sounds like. That rising, you know, grand. Yeah, it's it's the late motif of every other song in that movie, practically. Yeah, yeah, late motif. There was a lot of late motifs in in this movie too. Yes, you heard a lot. Jack Clement and Sally's song are like late motifs throughout the entire um film, uh, which I really I, I feel like those two songs could have been stitched together as a duet. I oh god, I really <laughs> stitched together. Ah. <laughs> I didn't mean that as a pun, but I picked it up. <laughs> so Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, I don't have much more to say in terms of like that stuff. But holy shit, is there a lot of trivia about Nightmare? All right. A lot of fun stuff um, to talk about. Um, I don't have anything else to say either, so let's just hop into that trivia. So Tim Burton had said that the original poem that he wrote that uh, inspired the film was uh, after he wrote the poem after seeing Halloween merchandise display in a store being taken down and replaced mm. by a Christmas display. Yeah. The juxtaposition of ghouls and goblins and Santa and his reindeer kind of like just sparked his imagination. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate with that. Having worked in retail, big box retail. Yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman apparently said that writing for Nightmare was one of the easiest jobs he ever had. 
<laughs> he said I he because he related to Jack a lot, so it was really easy to write all the songs in the film. I like Danny Elfman. Yeah, I like Danny Elfman. He does he does good work. Uh, he 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 does great. Fun fact. Yeah. He composed the uh, theme song for Fable. Huh. I did not know that. The rest of it, I think, is uh, Russell Shaw, mm. but he did the theme. See, uh, it took a group of around 100 people three years to complete this movie. Mm. For one second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. Mm. Uh, in the making of book, it stated that the most difficult shot in the film, in the, in like, uh, to film in the entire movie, was actually shot the shot where Jack is reaching for the doorknob in Christmas Land. This is because viewers can see the perfect surround reflection of the forest around Jack in the background in the doorknob. Ooh. Right? I didn't even think about that. That's crazy. God damn. That... Yeah, I, I, I really like. Okay, there, there, there's something to be said about um, crunch and whatnot. Because oh, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. next to game design, stop motion probably re- requires like the most crunch, just just because of how labor intensive it is. Oh yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like without the attention to detail that these people and like the uh, and Ardman put into and I haven't really seen the old Christmas specials that uh, Bank and Rass did so I, I can't really comment there mm-hmm. but without that attention to detail it just comes off cheap for sure um the and this is kind of going back to the thing we said about um Danny Elfman as Jack because people, they liked him so much as a singing voice they specifically went and found uh, Sarandon because he sounded like Danny Elfman. So the the casting yeah, was re- the casting was reversed. That's interesting. It's really it's that's I love that. Like instead like instead of trying to find someone who sounded like Sarandon singing voice, they found someone who sounded like Danny Elfman. That that makes sense. It does it also it makes sense as to why they? It, it it's like. So, I can't get over it. I, they sound the same. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, according to Henry Selleck, uh, Vincent Price was actually originally cast as Santa Claus. Really? Yeah. However, after the death of Price's wife, his own health began to fail, and his voice performance was very frail and weak. Uh, he recorded some stuff, but the tracks were deemed un- unusable, which led, and Selleck was very regretfully had to recast him. Uh, and the film premiered on, premiered on October 9th, only 16 days before Price's death, and was released on limited basis four days later. Damn. Yeah. Uh, there's also something of a, oh yeah, this is, a, this is something that I definitely want to talk about uh, the stuff about Tim Burton and Selleck in terms of how they're credited with this film. Mm-hmm. There's something of a controversy over exactly who had the rights to call the story and the film their own. Selleck is a director, and he spent more time on the set and production than Tim Burton. However, Burton has often claimed that he is the owner of the story, 
as it was all his idea. He wrote the original poem and most of the script, created the characters, and served as a producer, and even wanted to direct, but simply was too busy at the time to do so. Popular culture has long accepted that the film was Burton's, as the film heading is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. However, Tim Burton himself constantly reinforces the fact that Selleck directed the film and is really annoyed that people don't remember him for that. Mm. Like, it, it, Tim Burton's not trying to take the credit. He actually actually hates that it's called Tim Burton's Nightmare because he wants to be credited, pro- he wants to be credited but he wants to be credited properly for his involvement yeah. in Nightmare. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, on the direction... Of- he's a... On. He's a creator. He, he, he values that shit. Yeah, I can respect that. Nothing else. Yeah. Um, I, I just think he's a weirdo. I mean, I don't like him. That's fine. I respect that. Yeah, Selig, uh sort of compared it to Tim Burton laid the egg, and Selleck sat on it and hatched it. Hmm, I can see that. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hand is in it, and it was my job yeah. to make it look like Tim Burton's film, which is not so different from my own film. Uh, when asked on Burton's involvement, Selleck claimed, I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was not in San Francisco when we made it. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. Walt Disney Feature Animation contributed with some use of the second layering traditional animation. Burton found production somewhat difficult because he was directing Batman Returns and was doing pre-production for Ed Wood, which is why he wasn't able to be on the set. Mm. Uh... So this is real. This next one's really interesting. Two items of technology were invented specifically to facilitate the filming of this movie. Oh. One was a light alarm, which would warn the animators if any of the stage lights failed to come on. The other was a system that enabled a puppeteer to seamlessly switch to a replacement puppet if a puppet broke during a shot. Prior to this either situation, a light failing to come on or a puppet breaking would destroy an entire shot. Damn. Crazy. Uh, yeah. Selig and his team of animators began production in July 1991 in San Francisco, California, with a crew of 120, usually 20 sound stages for filming. Uh, Joe Ramp was hired from Disney as a storyboard supervisor, while Eric uh, Layton was hired to supervise animation. At the peak of production, 20 individual stages were simultaneously being used for filming. In total, there were 109,440 frames taken for the film. Jesus. Uh, And a lot of um, stop-motion animators were heavily influenced with them, like Harryhausen and Wilson and uh, Charles Adams, etc. Harryhausen. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, yeah, fun fact. Uh, I, I don't. You probably have this in the trivia for Corpse Bride, but the piano in the the noble's house. He plays Harryhausen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now this is something that I noticed, and it's kind of slightly mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in this, but I want to go into more detail. Um, Henry Selick wanted to look more like a pop-up book in terms of its look, the film. And uh, they mention that it's kind of German expressionist, but they don't go into detail about that. And I want to go more into detail about that. Um, okay. Uh, 
night a lot of the buildings and like how like you can see how some like jack's uh house is a perfect example of this it's like awkward angles it's like all the skewed all the buildings are like awkward shapes like nothing looks quite right and it's all crooked um this is heavily inspired by a lot of german expressionist films specifically from the 1920s like silent uh german expression yeah. films like uh if for those of you how who ha who don't know um if you don't know what i'm talking about go look up uh the cabinet of dr caligari and you'll know ex and you'll look at it and you'll go that's you'll see it if you see screenshots of the the cabinet of dr caligari it it's so obvious that that was one of the uh huge uh inspirations for the art style of this film i feel like it, it it's a huge inspiration not just for this film but for a lot of both Selleck's films and Burton's Tim Burton's films. Exactly. The, the German Expressionist uh, stuff yeah. is a very underrated, I feel, in terms of like its uh, importance to art and design. Yeah. Um, I remember finding out about the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, when um, James Rolfe, a.k.a. Angry Video Game Nerd, still did uh, his Monster Madness uh, mm. month. And he he talked he did a one of his uh, monster madnesses was the history of horror, and he talked about uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> and honestly, I think the cabinet the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is worth watching if only for its visuals. Truly, I mean it's a silent film, yeah. so you know. All it's got is its visuals. Really, it, it's it's such <laughs> a amazing looking film. Yeah, I uh, I haven't watched it but i read a, a book that it talked about it a lot yeah uh, when i was in high school and it had a lot of like screenshots in there and, mm -hmm. yeah. um let's see uh there were three shots in the entire film that were filmed at normal speed 20 fps one is the opening overhead shot of the trees in the forest the fog coming out of the fountain and the other is the bug falling into the molten pit in ogie boogie's lair hmm Having his color palette consist only of black and white, not counting when he's wearing Santa's outfit or when he's the pet the pumpkin outfit, Jack is the first and so far only character in Disney history to be completely colorless despite coming from a Technicolor film. Hmm. And finally, last piece of trivia. There's way more trivia, but we will be, be here all day. Um, according to Ken Page, Ogie... Uh, vocal performance was a mix between Burt Lair's portrayal of the Cowardly Lion in the 1939 film adaptation of The Wizard of Oz and Mercedes uh, McCambridge's performance as the demon Pazuzu in the 1973 film The Exorcist. I, yeah. I can see that. He was also greatly inspired by Cab Calloway, a songwriter Danny Elfman was inspired by St. James Infirmary Blues when writing Oogie's song. That one definitely shows through. And that's um, that's all our trivia. But there's there's way more information about this film. The I was reading, doing a lot bunch of research about trivia and like facts and stuff, production stuff. There's because this film is such a like cult classic and it's been around for so long. There's so much information about it. There was no way we could talk about all of it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I call it a cult classic. I think I would just call it a classic. Um, yeah, well, because I I feel like. Everyone I know from our generation is 
at least at some point was obsessed with this film. Yeah. Um, I think this film, uh, my final sort of like takeaway is, I think while this film is kind of like slightly overrated, I think it deserves most of its like praise and love truly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's Nightmare. All right, cool. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to do Corpse Bride. We'll see you then. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Active Podcast Incorporated, special Halloween spooktacular celebravaganza. Uh, we're looking at Corpse Bride now, directed by Tim Burton and Mike Johnson. Writing credits go to Tim Burton and Carlos Grangel, with the screenplay by... John August, Carolyn Thompson, and Pamela Peddler. Uh, starring Johnny Depp as Victor Van Dort. Helena Bonham Carter as Corpse Bride. Emily Watson as Victoria Everglot. Tracy Ullman as Nell Van Dort and Hildegard. Paul Whithouse as William Van Dort, Mayhew, and Paul the Head Waiter. Joanna Lerney as Maudelin. Everglot, Albert Finney as Finnis Everglot, Richard E. Grant as Barkus Fitton, Christopher Lee as Pastor Galswell. Christopher fucking Lee. Yep. Uh, Michael Go, Gao as Elder Gut- Gutnacht. Uh, Jane Horrocks as Black Widow Spider slash Mrs. Plum. And Retail as Maggot and Town Crier. Deep Roy as General Bones Apart. Danny Elfman as Bone Jangles. Stephanie Ballantyne as... I'm sorry. Stephen Ballantyne as Emil. And Lisa Kay as Solemn Village Boy. There you go. With uh, music by Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. I feel like that this movie has kind of like... Uh, what's the word? Come full circle. Like people didn't on its initial release, nobody really liked it. But like it's kind of like circling back. You know what I mean? Huh, that's interesting. That that that's not the experience I had. But a lot. Uh... It's it's got a big. I've noticed a lot of people are sort of like remembering it fondly on the internet. Okay. I just mean, at the time, I remember most of the people I knew being really into it. Uh, it's getting more of... And what I'm saying is it's getting, like, I'm sure people liked it, but, like... Having a revival. Yeah, a revival slash, like, a cult following. Got it. You know, uh, particularly on, you know, Tumblr and similar places. Yeah. it It's ripe for the Tumblr crowd, or what the Tumblr crowd once was, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. What they used to be. Yeah. Who knows. Um, I also didn't realize that I had accidentally... So, this is a random sidebar. In our cur- one of our current D&D things, in, uh, we're running Curse of Strahd, and I'm playing a character named Siegfried, who is just Vincent if he was German. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I didn't realize it when I made him. 
I, I was more yeah. trying to, I was more trying to be Ichabod Crane from the Sleepy Hollow Tim Burton film. Well, it, it's kind of very similar roles. It, it's still mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. It's the fusion of the two. Yeah. What if what if this character was German? Yeah, it, it feels like Depp was trying to channel his Ichabod Crane for this character. They're they're similar performances. Yeah, is this one of his first voice roles? Uh Let's find out. I think this might be. I'm opening his IMDb. Mm. 2004, he was on King of the Hill Mm. as Yogi Victor in Hank's Back. I think it was his second. Ah, okay. Because um, I, I think that uh, that Hank Hill, that that King of the Hill episode was the first one. Yeah. Also, this is just a before we get into the actual movie. Somebody pointed this out to me since we're filming like cast and stuff, and that's the fact that um, Tim Burton has this obsession with one casting Johnny Depp as the lead role. Yeah. This is obviously at a certain point in Tim Burton's career. Um, casting Johnny Depp the role, and then casting his uh has casting Helena Bottom Carter as the leading lady. Tim yeah. Burton has a real obsession with wanting Johnny Depp to cuck him. Yeah. Yeah. Like it 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 happens so many times you can't help but wonder, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, the... they have chemistry. They do, but also, yeah, but also, they also just look good together. I, 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 I... The, the the cuck joke is fun to make, obviously, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's necessarily. It's just funny. Yeah, it is funny. Um, but anyway, uh, I actually hadn't seen this movie in a long time. Same. It, it um, I mean, I've only seen it like twice since, uh, not including this one. I think this is like my fourth time. I've o- I've only seen it two or three times myself. So yeah. Yeah, I've seen Nightmare like a bunch, but I haven't gone back to this movie in a long time. Yeah, I, I saw it once in high school in TV production class, and then I think I caught it on TV another time or two. I caught it when it came out, and hmm. then I saw it again maybe 2011 when it uh when ABC Family was doing like their Halloween stuff. Yeah. And they they showed it then, and they paired, and they had the that was I was I watched their only and the only reason I watched it was because I knew Hocus Pocus was coming on right after that. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, um, not to detract from this movie because this is still a fun movie. Yeah, I like, like I said, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. I think if I had seen Nightmare Before Christmas before this, I would have liked that more than this. Yeah, I think it's just that I happened to see this first. It's trying to capture the energy. It, it it's a spiritual successor. Yeah, uh, uh, Leica also had a huge involvement in this movie, along with Tim Burton's oh. production film. Yeah. Uh, they were really they were heavily responsible for a lot of the the great stop motion in this. Um, the uh, it's really interesting actually watching these two back to back because one it's a spiritual successor thing, and it's also like you can literally see the um how much stop motion has evolved. Yes, between the two, it's it's crazy how how much uh. Stop motion animation has become smoother and uh, more advanced since a nightmare came out. And it's only and it had only been like what 12, 11 years since Nightmare came out when this movie came out. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Because Nightmare was ninety three and this is two thousand five, so yeah, like twelve years. Yeah. Twelve or eleven, give or take, right? Give or take a few months, yeah. Yeah. Um this this movie also would. There was a live action stage play of Nightmare, obviously, but I think yeah. this movie would serve well as a live action stage play. Yeah, it definitely has it. It definitely has the feel of that. It feels like it's staged that way. Yeah, and, and it would work well as a live action stage play because there's only like what like three or four sets. Yeah. You need the you need the, the house, uh, you need the town, the underworld. And, you need the forest and, and the underworld. And and the church. And the church. That's it. That's all you need. You only need like yeah. you only need like five sets. And zombie makeup's pretty easy to do. Yeah, the only I mean, relatively. Yeah, the only effect I think that would be hard to do would be the dog. Yeah. He'd be a puppet, obviously. Marionetting. Yeah. And marionette. And then everything else is pretty easy to do with like makeup and like, you know, uh, uh, costumes. Yeah. It's just that this movie was never popular enough to ever have a, a musical version. It also wasn't Disney. It also wasn't it was, Disney. It was uh, Warner Brothers. So. This is true. But I mean, other films have become musicals. Oh, yeah. But Disney has a habit of doing that. Yeah. Of doing, like, even if it's just their on ice, Disney on ice thing, it's still... Yeah. Like, Don Bluth Anastasia has a stage play. Yeah. And it actually fixes one of the problems with the movie. Really, now? Yeah. We'll get to that when we get to Anastasia. Yeah, yeah, we will. Wait, hold on. Didn't we already... No, I, I thought we had talked about Anastasia because I had recently watched it. That's why. Yeah. I was like, why did I watch Anastasia? Oh, yeah, that's right. I just wanted to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> there was no reason. I just watched it from, you know, for my own enjoyment. That's, yeah. That's a thing people do, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's hard to keep track of what I watch for this show and what I'm just watching for my own time. Yeah. Oh, man. But, um, uh, where to start with this movie? Uh, well, let's just go into trivia. 
Because, again, there's not too much to talk about with the plot here. Yeah, I mean... The the one thing that, like, I will say that people don't seem to get about this movie is, like, everybody thinks that Victor should have been with Emily. It's like, that's not the point. Yeah. You're missing the point of the movie. That's not the point of either of their character arcs. Just zombie fuckers. I mean... I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame them. So listen, I was talking about how hot Jack Skellington was like 20 minutes ago, so you know, or however long we've been recording. <laughs> uh, so I can't blame them. Truly, you know, the, the, there's something that my brain has accepted skeleton fuckers, but it it can't accept zombie fuckers because that's like so close to necrophilia. Hmm. Skeletons, you know, you can satisfy that with a, a, a classroom model of a skeleton. Mm. There's really no imitating cold, dead flesh. I feel like we just step away from this com- that that particular conversation. Pink <laughs> uh, shaping zombie fuckers. I, I don't care. Well, pink shaming then. Hold on. I gotta knock. Alright. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Uh, anyway. Um, what was I saying? Uh, we. I just finished kink shaming zombie. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Um, but anyway, um, I, the one thing I will say is that, like, this movie, I forgot it was even a musical. Like, none of the songs. Yeah, none of the songs are super memorable. None of the songs are super memorable. Like, truly. Like, the, I think the best song in the movie is, um, Tears to Shed. Mm. Emily's song, and that's like that's it. and I wait no, I do like the the song that, that Bone Jangles sings. Bone Jangles is the only song I remembered. Of course it is. It's a fucking singing skeleton. And his name is Bone Jangles. Yeah, I I do want to be clear that. This is just for you and me. This is not for any of the listeners. But when I named my character that in our Eberron playthrough, I'd forgotten about this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just somewhere in the mind space. Deep inside. I listen to a lot of Neil Diamond. And he has a, you know, Mr. Bojangles song. Mr. Bojangles song. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I got you. Um, I mean that that that's. I arrived at the same joke. Yeah, is it like a lot of the, 
the songs while they serve like a purpose. It's just like none of them are as memorable. Memorable, yeah. They're not as catchy, and like some of them just don't have. How do I put this? They're not. All of them feel like they're not being sung. They're just being spoken in like with with a, a tune, right? They're not actually being properly yeah. sung by a character. Yeah. Like everything must be perfect, and the the one that the the spider and the 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 maggot sing, they're all just like spoken words, as opposed to actually like singing, singing. You know, it it's so. I watched this four or five hours ago. Mm-hmm. I forgot about it until now. Yeah, so I'm telling you, man. I, I I already forgot. It it's God Almighty. Yeah, it's none of these songs are that good or memorable. I mean, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. They're just not memorable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same. Yeah, I like this movie a lot visually, and its character design is really nice. Yes. Like, I don't... There's not as many, like, uh, super out there designs as, as Nightmare, but there's definitely quite a few. Yeah, it, it definitely feels more homogenized. Yeah, the, the guy who's cut in half, the weird, like, Napoleon Bonaparte skeleton. Yeah. And the... Um, a lot of the, um... The... Uh, Nightmare didn't have any like proper human characters other than like Santa, and this was like mostly human characters. So I, I yeah. they really got to exaggerate a lot of the um, features. Features. Yeah, exactly. It was all, a lot of caricature esque designs. Yeah. Big so- Victoria's dad. Yeah, Victoria's dad's just an egg, and the the mom is just like all chin. Yeah. Same with the the priest and the. I love how the town crier is shaped like a bell. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of fun character design and just visual language in this film. Yeah, I, I'd say uh, it predates Tumblr, so I, I'll call it uh, that deviant art style. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, this is sort of like a subtle thing, is that um, the the... Subtle thesis of this film is that, like, being alive is miserable and being dead is great. Yeah. Because the underworld is, like, brightly colored and, like, everybody's having a good time. And then you go upstairs and everybody's, like, it's all gray and sad and everything sucks. (laughs) I'd argue, um... That it it's less that being alive sucks and being dead sucks because both of them suck. Mm-hmm. Because you, the the people in the underworld are people who have clinging something to cling to the living world for, right? No, we, we see it's just an Emily dissipate afterwards yeah that's i don't yeah she's passing on yeah the 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 underworld is purgatory yeah it's a place they can't pass on from yet they're they're still they're they're essentially ghosts they're they're, they have lingering desires yeah that's never really like talked about at all in the movie it feels implied though yeah i think it's it's a kid's movie i think it's implied yeah um so 
the only difference really is the living just kind of wallow in it and the dead distract themselves. Hmm. That's an interesting interpretation. Yeah, I don't know. Because there's like no responsibility in death in the underworld, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I did appreciate the head waiter joke. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I don't know who's best best and dead dog scraps or zero. It's it's a tough call. Mm. It it's tough. I like them both. Frank and Mimi. I've never seen Frank and Mimi. I can't comment. Yeah, you can't. Really. They're they're all good boys, that's all that matters. All doggos are good boys. They're all tens out of tens. Yeah. Um. So, some of the trivia stuff. All right. Uh, unless you have something else. I got nothing. Okay. Uh, the puppets were twenty-five to twenty-eight centimeters, or nine point eight to eleven inches tall. Hmm. And some of the stages were so large that animators could actually fit through the set doors with minimal crouching. Wow. Uh, the puppets use ni- uh, neither of the industry standards of replaceable heads, like those used on Nightmare, or replaceable mm. mouths, like those used in Arben and Wallace and Gromit, uh, mm. but instead use precision-crafted clockwork heads adjusted by hidden keys. Wow. This allowed for unprecedented subtlety, but was apparently even more painstaking than the already notoriously arduous animation. Yeah, I can imagine. One anima- Clockwork sucks. One animator even reported having recurring nightmares of adjusting his own facial expression in the same fashion. Oy. The the puppets were made from uh, stainless steel armatures covered with a silicone skin. Yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman originally wrote the part of Bone Jangles looking for another musician to sing it. After failing to find a voice that fit director Tim Burton asked Elfman if he would just sing it. Yeah, that. The, but the performance left Danny Elfman hoarse for like a few days afterwards. <laughs> yep. Uh, the movie had a 55-week shoot and included 109,440 individually animated frames. Multiple identical puppets had actually been created so that more scenes could be accomplished in a shorter period of time. Interesting. So there were like scenes, so like there were copies of puppets and scenes were being filmed like on different stages, but there were different scenes using the same characters so that they could get the movie done faster. That makes sense. In all, 14 puppets of the bride and Victor were created, and 13 were created of Victoria. Wow. We already mentioned the thing about how the Victor, the, the thing Victor plays on the piano is uh, Harryhausen. Yeah. The nameplate uh, on the piano. Yeah, movie, the, the, the maker. Yeah, yeah, the movie was based on a 19th century Russian folktale, which Joe Ranth introduced to Tim Burton while they were finishing Nightmare. This huh. movie began production uh, in November of 2003 while Burton was completing Big Fish. He continued with production on his next live-action movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was produced simultaneously with this movie. Hmm. Co-director Mike Johnson spoke about how they took a more organic approach to directing this movie, saying, in in a co-directing situation, one director usually handles one sequence, while the other handles another. 
our approach was more organic. Tim knew where he wanted the film to go as far as the emotional tone and story point. My job was to work with the crew on a daily basis and get the footage as close as possible to how I thought he wanted it. Ah. So yeah, this is way more Tim's baby than Nightmare is in terms of like, it's it's not only he created a lot of the, the characters and stuff for it, he also got to actually direct it. Yeah. Um, this is his actual the first time he ever directed a, an animated film. Because hmm. he knew, he didn't he produced and worked on James and John Peach and Nightmare, but he didn't never he never got to direct either of them because that was yeah. that was Selick. Yeah. Um, the last one, and this is super interesting. This is the first movie to be made ever with commercial digital still photography cameras, thirty-one Canon EOS cameras with Nikon lenses instead of film cameras. Interest. That's fascinating. Yeah. The more you know, right? Yeah. The more you know. But yeah, that's um. Unfortunately, there's not as much trivia about this film because it's not as like you know, popular. Yeah. Uh, it it also just might not have been an, as interesting production to begin with, really. You know. Yeah, it could have been. It's it was pretty. Might have been just been straightforward. You know, sometimes there's just not much to talk about on the production, you know? Yeah. Not every film can be groundbreaking or have some sort of crazy story or whatever, yeah. you know? It just, it just feels so like that. Sometimes, sometimes a easy, calm production yeah. is better. The one thing, another thing I will say about this movie that I think is that differentiates it from Nightmare is that this movie is a, attempting to be a comedy. Yes. Uh, I, I, I do just want to clarify something I just said. Not that anything about this is, is easy or necessarily calm. It's yeah. Stop animation. Fucking nightmare. Yes. A nightmare? Uh, <laughs> ah! Ah! Two, un, two unintended puns in one podcast. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I trip into them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but I just mean, you know, relatively. Relatively speaking, yes. Yeah. Not not a lot of on-set incidents and stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. come in, slave away at the job, and then go home. Yeah, and I like that story that Bruce Campbell talked about on the Evil Dead commentary. Gonna have to fill me in on that one. Okay, so in the in when they were filming Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead, there's uh, there's a really funny commentary that um, Bruce Campbell he talked about this story uh, when he was uh, when they were filming. Uh, I think it must have been the scene when he cuts when Ash cuts his arm off, and he was supposed to just laugh and scream maniacally. He did the thing. He screamed and laughed maniacally, and then up on the rafters, he heard another, like, just just powerful scream, and he was like, is that fucking guy making fun of me? Is he is he mocking me? Was one of the production guys up in the, the rafters mocking me? No, apparently uh, one of the production guys had touched a live wire. <laughs> and then oh. his, and just fucking... 
was screaming in pain after touching a live wire. God damn. Oh, God. And then Bruce Campbell was like, and that guy couldn't catch a break either. When we were, he was on the, the set of Army of Darkness, and the dude fell like 30 feet from one of the uh, the set walls, too. Same guy. Hey, <laughs> they, they should have him working on the ground. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, the way that Bruce tells it is so fucking funny. Oh, I love Bruce Campbell. Yeah, he's he's a he's a character. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's um. Yeah, that's Corpse Bride. That is Corpse Bride. I do not have much to say about Corpse Bride. I like the. Right, I, we're gonna... I like this movie, but I do like. I think I like Nightmare better. But you know. Yeah, I think it's all about which one you see first. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely more of that. Knowing Nightmare came first, I, I see why people like it more. Mm-hmm. I just think I like the characters in Corpse Bride more than the characters in Nightmare. And that's why I like Corpse Bride more. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to shut this thing out. We'll see you then. And welcome back for the last time this episode to Acme Podcast Incorporated. Uh, that's it for this ep- for this bonus spooktacular celebravaganza. Oh, sorry, there's a burp. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So th- th- these are two movies that I really wasn't looking forward to watching. Hmm. Um, even though I like both of them more or less, I, I just don't really enjoy watching them. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things we end up watching that I just dread watching. Hmm. Surprisingly. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, there's, uh, there's been a couple times where that's happened to me. So, you know. Yeah. Like, I did not want to watch Slayers. Really? No. I'm glad I, I'm glad I did. Up... I enjoyed it. Okay, you just couldn't get... You just the 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 idea was I just was I did not want to. Okay. But when I but I but when I did I enjoyed it so you know. Yeah. So sometimes you're pleasantly surprised with one of those, but th- these are things I've watched before, mm-hmm. and so I I just knew what I thought about them. Didn't really, but I needed to brush up on them. But I just didn't want to. That's why I put it off so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this episode. Uh, great comment and review. Yeah, wherever you're listening. Uh, we'd really appreciate wherever it. Wherever you're listening to this, please give us a like, give us a review, give us five stars, whatever, anything. Yeah. Send us a postcard. Postcard, email, tweet, DM, or just tell a friend, you know, get, get someone to listen. Yeah, yeah, please. It'd be nice. Spread the word. Yeah, spread the love. But um, that's it for this time. Uh, I'm not going to do all the contact stuff this time or the plugs because you're going to get another episode come Monday. So. Or come Tuesday, I when mean. When you're listening to this, it'll be like a couple days after the, like, the, the JoJo episode be coming out like a couple days after, so. Yeah, this comes out on 31st, which is Sunday. Yep. And then. 
and then uh, Tuesday is when the JoJo episode comes out. So you know, mm-hmm. well, we'll we'll take care of all our plugs. Then. Yeah, we do have uh, we do have one important thing to say though. Oh, happy Halloween! Oh yeah, happy Halloween! Happy Halloween, everybody! Stay safe. Yeah. Eat some candy. But not candy corn. Fuck that shit. Nah, candy corn's great. The the dichotomy. We're never gonna agree on We're, this. We're never gonna the, agree yeah, on Yeah, people will die on a hill for candy. It's like you either despise candy corn with every fiber of your being or you love candy corn. There's no one. Yeah. It's like licorice. There's no one between. I love the delicious irony that your partner is a candy corn lover. Oh, yeah. He loves candy corn. I fucking despise it. Yeah. Well, you know, that works out because he can have all of it. I'll give him all (laughs) of my fucking candy corn. I don't give a shit. Oh, man. I I want some candy corn now. I already had this season's amount, but I want more. Did you know it used to be called chicken feed? Really? Yep. I learned that while researching for a trivia night that I'm going to be running soon. But anyway, that's the show. Yeah. All right, that's it. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.